listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A F F E C T A 1 5. <laughs> Welcome back listeners, I'm Daria Brown and this is Affect Autism, where this week I have Sari Levin, who is a special educator. She's worked with families for a long time and is the clinical supervisor of Kindergrove, where they provide home-based DIR floor time therapy throughout New Jersey and are the first accredited DIR floor time organization in the state of New Jersey. DIR floor time, of course, being the developmental individual differences relationship-based model and ICDL, the home of DIR Floor Time, the International Council on Development and Learning, has the new accreditation and being the first accredited DIR Floor Time organization in New Jersey is super exciting. Sari has her advanced DIR certificate. Also with us today is returning guest, occupational therapist Stephanie Peters, who is the clinical director with Kindergrove. And she's also a floor time coach with ICDL's DIR Home Program. She also teaches certificate courses as a DIR training leader with ICDL, where she also mentors. Today, we will be discussing the parent support services that Kindergrowth provides, including direct coaching, and what their accreditation means to them, along with other topics related to Kindergrowth. Welcome, Sari, and welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Daria, for having us. We're really excited. Thank you for having us back, or me back. And congratulations, Stephanie, who had a child and was on maternity leave, but she's now one. So it's great to have you back after your maternity leave. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's it having a kid gives you a whole different perspective on all of development and coaching families in particular. So it's I been, can imagine. Yes. Yeah, it's um rewarding to be a parent, but also from the DIR floor time lens, there are so many different ways to think about it and that it carries over into the clinical practice very piece of it as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we'll, we'll be excited to hear more about that when we hear about your services. Um, Sari, tell us about Kindergrowth. So Kindergrowth is a New Jersey based program where we provide DIR floor time therapy across New Jersey for children that have a diagnosis of autism that are on Medicaid insurance. So this is obviously a big thing because a lot of families that are on Medicaid do not have access to as much services as we would like them to have. So the fact that Medicaid is the first one to be taking this step and covering DIR floor time is really, really huge because these parents are getting an incredible intervention that they would not otherwise be able to get. Right. And Medicaid, um, that that whole effort to get Medicaid to cover DIR floor time really was a big project at ICDL to get going. So it's wonderful to see that, you know, the wheels turning on that and families benefiting from it. Yeah, so, it's, it's incredible. So uh, um, how, how do you guys structure the services with Stephanie being an occupational therapist and you being a special educator? how does it work? Does somebody just look you up online and they see kinder growth and they call you and how does it all start? Great question. So really as of pretty recently, we just started with our digital marketing. Um, up until about two weeks ago, it, we parents would be searching for an autism intervention. They would really have to get super specific. They kind of knew they were looking for DIR floor time and that's how they would find us generally on the website. Um, you know, recently, once we started with our digital marketing, you know, our search has gotten much broader. So you can search autism intervention, autism therapy, um, New Jersey services, and a whole, you know, a whole variety of different search words, um, and we will show up for them. It turns out a lot of the families that are actually searching for autism services have in mind ABA, because that's kind of, you know, what they've heard of. But, you know, the main search words we get are autism services and the families sort of stumble upon us almost by mistake and, you know, the best mistake of their life. 
<laughs> yes, the best the best stumbling block for sure is by accident finding out that DIR floor time is available when you didn't even know about it. I know that's the biggest um, challenge in Canada as well as just getting the word out about developmental approaches and specifically about DIR floor time because only the only thing you hear about is behavior therapy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of parents too, I think look for another option when they've had very negative experiences with a behavioral type of intervention. So there's this hope of, I there has to be something else out there, but I have no idea if this even exists, but I know what I want it to feel like. And then they happen to stumble across kinder growth. And it's very rewarding to help a parent understand that their hopes and dreams of how they want to parent their kid is actually supported by a model that works really well, as we all know. So what is Kinder Growth's website, Sari? Sure, that's kindergrowththerapy.com. There's a double T-H, growth therapy. Okay, I'm going to put the link to that in the blog post associated with today's podcast for those listening on audio and on YouTube. You can just look down in the notes. Uh, There'll be a link to the blog post and there I'll have the links to Kinder Growth. So, is there an age requirement for someone? What if what if someone didn't just get diagnosed, but they've had ABA, you know, for years, and and their child is a teenager or even in their early twenties? Is is there does Medicaid specify an age range? Great question. Um, so Medicaid does cover until the age of twenty one. You know, so we treat a whole range of ages. We have you know two, three, four year olds, which is our you know I would say our general popula- age population. We do have nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds. We get calls from 13-year-old moms. So we really have quite the age range. And is that pretty much as far as, um, it's gone so far as about age 13, but you you have the option until age 21? Yeah, so right now 13 is the oldest we've gotten to, but like I said, it's not limited to that. It goes until until the age of 21, one is covered under Medicaid. So what is the service that's provided? Let's just do the the concrete sort of insurance stuff first. So is it X number of sessions for X number of minutes, Y number of minutes uh, that's covered? How does that work? Mm-hmm. So we generally base it off of what we feel the family's need is. So if we have a family whose child is, you know, in a special education setting for most of the day and they really feel they need the support in the evenings or on the weekends, we'll base it off of that. Um, You know, if some families or children are home with them and they have a full day where they're kind of looking to, you know, get support, get advice, get guidance with how, you know, how to support their children. So then we would do some more hours during the day. But a family is technically able to get about 30 hours a week. Okay. And is it for... Uh, an extended period of time or is it needs based? Sure. So it goes according to a six month authorization. And every six months we reevaluate the child to see where they're holding. Do they still need this amount of hours? Should we cut down? Should we add more? Um, and we sort of base it off of that. Okay. And Stephanie, how, how do your roles play off of each other? It, is it just one therapist per family or do you alternate and the OT is called in for OT type concerns or how does it work? So I don't have my OT hat on for this role. I mean, I can't actually ever remove it from my brain. It's always tinkering in the background, but my role in kinder growth is to be the clinical supervisor or clinical director, excuse me, for DIR floor time. So the lens of DIR floor time is seen for everything and um, that's how you do the families the relationships the child and really it's what guides the whole developmental process and the whole intervention experience um the bring it back to the model idea is kind of how the in a way the mantra of the provision of services where we work to train the therapist Sari and i um 
are the con the coaches for the parents and then we also supervise and mentor the therapists so that there are there's a collaborative reflective process that's integrated throughout the whole experience um, from the therapeutic level of the one-on-one -on -one, the therapist with the child and then on top of that we're there to support the parents and then the parents are also part of the sessions um, because that's the most important relationship is the absolute perfect parent that every child has. Um, and, and Sari and I collaborate constantly with every family that we work with. Okay, so I guess I misunderstood that part. You guys have a team of therapists who are providing the direct floor time services with the child, with the client, mm -hmm. and then you are coaching those therapists and sort of supervising them as well as coaching the parents yourselves. Correct. Okay. So how does that parent support piece work, Sari? It's super fun <laughs> and it's super, super rewarding. Um, so the parent support piece kind of goes like this. Um, every parent, you know, once they, they, they give us a call, they're interested in our services, we always tell them initially that parent training is part of our program, just so they're not kind of caught off guard when we email them asking them what time works for a weekly meeting and they're like, well, hey, I didn't sign up for that. Um, some parents are a little bit more reluctant to meet because they're just not as comfortable with the idea. And some parents, you know, embrace it with open arms. They want to learn more. They want to grow and that's all they want. Um, so we always preface to the parents that we do have these weekly meetings. Um, the, meetings are not limited to once a week if a parent feels they need more support they're always you know they can always ask and we can always give more um we generally meet with our parents via zoom or google meet but we do have our meetings remotely um this is important for a few reasons mainly you know parents are busy they're busy with their child they're busy with other things maybe it's other children or just you know their life and it doesn't always work for the parents to stop drop and drive to a meeting especially if it's something that's, you know, a weekly meeting. And we've seen from more clinic-based models, and we've had parents that called us and said, you know, the clinic we use offers parent training, but I have to go into the clinic once a week in the evening, and it doesn't work for me. So they're missing out on that huge parent coaching piece. So something we're very clear about is that we are fully here for our parents. We, you know, we love those meetings. They're, they're, they're so incredibly rewarding when we have a parent that sort of has like that aha moment and that light bulb goes on and they make these connections with their child. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful to see. Um, but we make it very clear to the parents that this is for them and we're gonna schedule it at a time that works for them. And it shouldn't be a stress and it shouldn't be something that they're kind of, oh, I really don't want it to happen, but just, something that they're looking forward to and they know they could ask their questions. It's, it's their safe space um, and their opportunity to really just get some answers. So I, I can really, um, I can really relate with what you're saying because when I first heard about floor time, I emailed everybody that I saw in the floor time video and I arranged, you know, for someone to come to our place and she showed up and I was like, great now i can do the dishes and i can get all this stuff done and that's what happened for the first bunch of weeks and i think if i try to recall my memory is skewed but i'm pretty sure now knowing the person that my therapist was and having podcasted with them a few times and knowing <laughs> them well enough they definitely tried to pull me in and i probably was just like yeah yeah that's nice and I guess, you know, you could, I could refer people in the blog post, I'll refer people back to the podcasts and blog posts I've done on parent support. There's been a few of them. And it really is, and, and Stephanie and I did a, a podcast about, um, what was it, the journey or understanding the, the realization phase or something it was called. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll refer people back to that because it takes a while to really mm -hmm. understand that we have this false narrative out there that mm. autism oh my kid has autism instead mm. of my child is autistic and their brain works differently and they process information differently and it's genetic so they're probably probably some kind of neurodivergence in one or both of the parents as well and 
this is how we're learning to connect and improve the sense of safety that the child has in the home so that we don't see behavioral outbursts. And I think that's such a huge barrier to, to wrap your head around for, for parents because you just hear negative, 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 and you hear all this stigma and you see the stuff on the news about anytime they feature anything about autistic kids, it's always like, oh, you know, you get the impression it's these poor, disabled autistic people who did this amazing thing, which is just a thing that anybody does anyway. But for some reason, because they're autistics, it's some amazing feat. And the way it's presented can be in such a negative light or um, it's it's always inspiring to people. But I think a lot of self-advocates kind of roll their eyes and they're like, oh, come on, they still just don't get us. We're just a different neurotype. And yes, we have disabling features and we require support, but for the parents, you're just thinking this person is coming and they're giving my child therapy to help make them better, as opposed to as a parent with the primary relationship with my child, I can interact with them in ways that are different, that will help them feel a sense of safety in a different way within our relationship, which is different than physical safety that, you know, they're not going to get eaten by the neighbor's dog or the, the there's not going to be a fire that burns them in the house or stuff like that or they're not going to this you know they're going to take the pot of boiling water off the stove and spill it on themselves although some kids do that i know but we're not talking about that sense of safety we're talking about that perceived sense of safety within the relationship and a lot of times that might be difficult to do especially if the parent is neurodivergent as well because their individual differences clash with their child's individual differences and I'm opening up a whole can of worms here. Who wants <laughs> know, to jump in? Ping, pinging. But I think that's like one of the very, very special things about the particular service and the way that we offer parent support because we have a therapist in the home, which is a very vulnerable experience for any parent is having a stranger who's also delivering this intervention that doesn't make sense. It like sounds great, but it's kind of confusing because it's very different than what they probably have previously experienced or heard is the right way to support your child. But if you're receiving services, there's this, this foundation of, I need more support and how can I better connect with my kid? And part of feeling safe is knowing that you and your child both see each other and understand each other but the focus is always on the kid, the parent having support to have space to feel with, with another person that this is really hard and I don't understand this. And then there are these, not consequences, but the result of that is feeling like we're not connected and we're not clicking and that I don't know what to do to help them. That's a horrible, horrible feeling as a parent. And even for any parent, we think it's, so invaluable to not be alone in that experience, but to be working closely with someone who has tools that feel good and that make a difference. And they result in change where the parent is now the agent of their own child's developmental mobility, where yes, there's somebody coming into the home who's supporting with this therapeutic practice, but really my goal is to empower a parent to know that they are the the most important person in their kid's life and that that relationship is what is going to make the whole difference it's not about anybody else coming in but the 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 process of understanding and gaining understanding that you it's really hard to do for yourself especially when you're a parent and you need to do the dishes and you need to do the laundry and the time and energy it takes to understand a different way of interacting is really hard and then to process and reflect on it by yourself is also really hard. I, I refer every parent I work with to your website, Daria, because there's so many fantastic resources, but even having a person who speaks the same floor time language to talk about what you heard and how it applies to you and what you're noticing, I think is really important too. So the, the intervention of a therapist coming into the home for up to 30 hours, which is is a lot, but the goal of floor time is for parents to not need that person coming in because they have all of the tools that they'll ever need just by being the right parent. 
that this child ever needed. But they are intrinsically. Right, right. So, Sari, that can sound scary to a parent because they'll be like, how am I in control of my child's meltdowns? Like, I'm doing everything I possibly can. I'm being super loving and my child is just melting down all the time. And how, I guess, how do you begin that parent support? Where, what is this process that you take a parent through from first meeting? So that's a great question. And it's something that we've kind of thought a lot about where do we sort of create a process? And, you know, especially as our team grows and we bring on more, you know, more advanced certificate level, um, you know, what we would call a supervisor, do we give them some sort of blueprint to work with? And the more we kind of think about it and the more we just meet with parents, we're like, no, because it's really just an organic process where, you know, we start off, we meet the parent for the first time, we kind of talk about how it's going and, you know, what they're seeing from their therapist, what they're finding interesting about the session. And that sort of really just opens it all up. Because they'll, you know, I noticed my therapist was doing X, Y, and Z, and I wasn't really sure why or how that was making a difference, but my child was really receptive to it. So what was it? And, you know, then we'll really sit and reflect with the parents, and that's kind of where we start. And it's really just one thing leading to the next and, you know, helping the parent try it out. And then the next session, we'll come back and say, well, hey, did you try it out? And how did it feel? And how did it go? And it's really just such an... It's funny because we have thought about, do we set something up? But it's really just such an organic process that happens. That's interesting to me because, um, and I imagine it differs from parent to parent too, but I know, you know, sometimes parents learning DIR floor time are pretty overwhelmed because we talk about functional, emotional, developmental capacities. Right off the bat, that's a mouthful. And then we focus on the first six functional, emotional, developmental capacities or FEDCs. And then you have to sort of learn what the six are. And then you have to sort of remember what they are. And you sort of have to figure out what, what they each are. And then what does that behavior look like in my child? And then where is my child on that? And then in that particular moment, where is my child on that? And then you're learning about, that's the D, and then you're learning about the I. Oh, my sensory processing profile, my child's sensory processing profile. What does my sensory processing profile have to do with anything? And then you talk about the two mixing together. And then you talk about the relationship holding it all together. And right off the bat, you can lose so many parents because that's so much information flooding at them. You know, like, what's that saying about, you know, the hose, drinking from the hose or whatever, <laughs> the fire hose. <laughs> um, it's just too much, right? So I really like uh, your answer because you're sort of just jumping in and saying, did you watch the session with the therapist and the child? What jumped out at you? And then you can bring it up and they already have the context for it. So, well, um, I was watching and my son was throwing stuff and they grabbed a bin and they started catching it and made a game out of it. And then my son started laughing but I usually don't let them throw anything. And then you can go into the conversation about their, uh, Stephanie, the OT, vestibular system, the <laughs> visual, whatever it is, why they might be throwing. Like for my son, he loves to watch things move. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And he wants to, you know, he needs to move himself. And so you can start to say that he is need, having a need to throw. It's his body that needs to throw. So we have to find an outlet for that as opposed mm -hmm. to just saying, no throwing, you might break something. <laughs> right, we have the opportunity to explore the why behind the what, as we say, and help a parent to have the luxury of just being curious about their kid, which is a great way of thinking about, or just having time and space to think about who their child is and wonder why they're doing something. And the conversation of all behaviors, communication, what is your child trying to tell you is really fun because that's tangible. I think the challenge of floor time is that there is no roadmap. Every interaction is different. Every day is different. There's no A, B, C, or D or ABC, then D. There's no straightforward path because everything's constantly changing. You're changing in which FEDC is really strong in that particular moment or which sensory system needs more support. So that makes it very 
hard when we're not sure, well, this worked last time or what do I do now? So offering the space to be curious and just really foster this deepened sense of understanding who your child is when a lot of those behaviors can be really confusing and challenging and that just doesn't feel good as a parent trying to connect with your child. Yeah, and I wonder if um, Sari and Stephanie too, if you would be willing right now to have a on the spot parent support session with me, just as a demonstration of the stuff that you do. Are you comfortable with that, Sari? Let's do it. <laughs> okay, so um, my son is 13 and he's gone to the same school for about eight or nine years. And just since school started last week, every day saying, no, no school, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go. And he, he has individualized program, there's no grades and he has a one-on-one -on -one support worker and he has integration into a small classroom. So most of the day, you know, he's, is divided up. So he is, you know, he gets deep pressure work and all of the stuff he needs for self, for regulation. And then he goes into the classroom, he does stuff with them and they do, they're doing different math things with Play-Doh or, you know, basic, um, let's say neurotypical kindergarten grade one type level curriculum that he is doing. Cause he's just starting, um, He's been reading now for about three or four years, but I mean, basic. And, but most of the day is spent on regulation because if something's challenging, he'll go, ah, and run. He'll try to run. Or if it gets challenging, he'll start screaming at another kid, or, you know, he might start throwing objects. So um, that being said, the day is already filled with all of this stuff going on, but he has a great time there. He laughs, he loves, he knows the therapist, they love him. He plays with the kids, he has a good relationship with all the kids, but he's still saying to me every day, no school, I don't wanna go to school. And the whole car ride there's, what's after school? Oh, we'll come home, we'll eat dinner, then we'll play, then we'll have a bath and we'll have bed. And then what's tomorrow? School, and then what's after school? And then what's after that? How many days till Saturday? What are we doing Saturday? Then what's Sunday? Then what's Monday? Just like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Firing squad of questions of what's gonna happen next over the next week. And then repeat again from the start. What, when are you picking me up today? What are we doing after school? When, then what are we doing? What's tomorrow? And the whole thing over again, over and over and over. And then we get to school and he just refuses to go in, clings to me like those little toddlers do and it breaks my heart and and I can't really just leave because he'll run after me to the parking lot. So I really do have to wait till he's ready till he goes inside the door. And even sometimes, uh, usually once he's inside the door, he's made the decision, I'm ready to go in and he goes and then I, I'm, I can leave. But in the past week, he hasn't wanted to do that. So finally, when he's gotten in, you know, I've had to run and then I see him going, ah! on the door like you know so yeah stephanie sees now as a parent she knows uh how that feels so i mean i'm trying to prepare him i'm trying to you know acknowledge his feelings and oh i know it's different um you have so much fun at home i know you want to stay at home but your job mama has to work i want a job i want to work oh your job is to go to school and, and when can I get a job? What am I, what's my job gonna be? And just like, boom, boom, boom. So that's my parenting issue that I bring up with you and you're that's my parent support staff. Yeah, that's really hard. <laughs> that's so I would hard. definitely say as a parent, that's gotta be hard to watch your child go through that discomfort and seemingly not wanting to go to school. And then there's also that piece of, Come on, you've been doing this for years. Just go. So there's well, a lot of because I'm a floor time person. I don't do that. Right. <laughs> but then other people will say, "Oh, you're too lenient." He knows that you're there and you're sympathetic, and so he's gonna pull everything he can to keep you there. And he full on tears this morning. He was so upset. Um, and I also think, okay, so I'll just step in with this disclaimer before you go further. Um, we could go and start thinking of all these tools and floor time techniques to use and blah, blah, blah. 
But sometimes it's just that, guess what? School started last week. He's been exposed to all these germs. He's fighting off something. He feels like he's coming down with a cold and he doesn't feel good. In, in the past, you know, 10 years, every time he's that cranky, it's always when he's about to get sick and he gets a cold or he fights it off and he's fine. So mm -hmm. it could be as simple as that. And then next week he's fine again. Mm -hmm. But still, it's the same discomfort as a parent putting him in that situation every day. Mm -hmm. Right. So on the one hand, you're thinking if I just hold out for another week, he's going to feel better, his body will feel better and support his ability to stay regulated and move on to the next step. But on the other hand, you can't take it much longer. <laughs> and there's always the fear of well, what if it's not? What if this is just how the rest of our life is going to be? Which is pretty scary as a parent thinking of your own just feeling of safety and your own regulation. Yes. And when you go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to go to Sari, but but go ahead and then she can. So when you've described that in the past transitions have been hard at times, can you think about what has what has helped in the past or how what you've noticed he's been able to be co-regulated by? The funny thing is, it's usually distraction that works. So the other teacher will come out and she'll be like, oh, so-and-so just took out the such and such board game. And he'll be like, and she'll be like, come, let's see it. And he's like, races in there because he's so excited to see that board game. It's like what he's focused on is what he harps on and, and gets anxious about. But as soon as you can, you know, change that focus, he it almost like forgets about it um, mm -hmm. because of course, you know, today it was 20 minutes. The other day it was 45 minutes with full on screaming and, you know, meltdown. The second I go, like I've barely driven away and I have an email. He's totally fine and happy and coloring with his therapist, you know? So, and my mother was a primary school teacher years ago and she said, the kids had their sight of their mother and the mothers are like, oh, and the kids are like, ah, and she closed the blind and then the kids are fine. <laughs> so, you know, I have that in the back of my head too, but to get that separation is such a dramatic process, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we try to distract, but then that may not work because you can tell he's not ready yet. And you try and provide that sense of safety by saying, okay, I can't wait till I see you later. When I pick you up, we're going to do this and this and that. Mm -hmm. um, but he's so focused on right now, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and on the other hand, you don't want him to be able tra to transition because he becomes distracted because the, the core reason why this meltdown is happening is not going to go away. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be diverted until the next time. He's yeah. not actually experiencing that expanded emotional range, the feeling of a stress response, and then, no, I am okay. Which, as more and more we do that, the window of dysregulation gets smaller and smaller to the point where he is able to then just go into school. So distraction, although it does work, is sometimes a band-aid. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's that to say the time you're taking to co-regulate with him, don't feel so guilty that you're doing him a disservice up to a point that if only you were to just run away, he would snap out of it immediately <laughs> because he his behavior might change, but that that need isn't going anywhere. You were saying, Sari? I always like to think about, you know, as Jackie would go and pull her son out of the drawer, our old friend Affect. Um, your son is there say, kind of saying, you know, no school or don't want to go. And one of my favorite things is just kind of echoing that with Affect. You know, sometimes the, his next question will be like, well, what's after school? But if we kind of more harp on his language and think about no school, no, no, no school today. And it kind of just gives him that time to kind of think about what he's saying and to reprocess it 
and mom's there with me. Affect always, you know, makes things more exciting. And just thinking about it with affect. Yeah, uh, I, I, in the car ride, I said, oh, I know, you don't wanna go to school today. Ugh, you just wanted to stay home and play. There's so many fun things at home. Oh, I know, it's so hard. And he hears me do that all the time. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, like try and keep him in that moment because maybe that's a good point. Um, I'll do that and then he'll jump to the next thing. What's after school? And maybe what I do, I need to pull him back. But, but you're thinking about, you're thinking about after school, but right now, you don't want to go to school now. And so you're saying sort of keep him in that moment to think about what he's expressing and to feel it and figure out how do I regulate that feeling of fear that I have. To think about the feeling, but also, you know, and then kind of you as the mom thinking about the language you're using. Are we using too much language with it? Do we need all that added language? Or do we just actually focus on what he's saying? No school. Nope. No school. And just thinking about that with him. Yeah. And then like anything, it's kind of like, well, then we'll see where it goes. And how is he going to respond to that? He is a chatterbox and he just keeps going. So he'll jump to the next thing and he'll just start filling in the space. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is hard for him to sit in that feeling of discomfort. I also wonder about his visual spatial processing and his visual processing, because you said that something that he likes more of and he likes to move his body. So I wonder when he is visualizing the things to come and he's already sick and already missing you, is it that much harder for him to think and anticipate what his body's going to be feeling in this different space when there are however many other children running around, where he's going to be going. So if the expansion of the idea of no school, what else does that mean? It's not just no school, but it's no this teacher and it's no this center and it's no this friend and then it's no coloring. And, and really what does no school mean to him might be a way to expand upon it so he can start being co-regulated to think about what he's going to be expecting and then trying to match what how his body feels in that moment too. Yeah, because he'll say, just want to stay home. I just want to stay home. Just want to stay home. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do you get at that without saying, oh, well, what is it about school that you don't want to go to? <laughs> you could one, so oh, no school. Wait, so no whatever his favorite thing to do in school is. Right. No playing outside with your friends? No outside? No playing outside. Ugh. No school. No and friends then, today. No friends today. Ah. No friends. And the idea is he's wound really tight. He's trying so hard to stop from it really escalating because he's still talking to you. So he, there's still a lot of strength that's happening. He's really connected. He's using all of his skills to try to communicate. I don't feel right. I don't know what to expect. I'm feeling kind of nervous. And I really just would prefer if this all didn't happen. And he's holding really tight. Imagine envision a knot. And what we're doing by leaning into this idea of no school is we're slowly loosening the knot so that we can breathe some space into all of that closed tightness. And as it opens, it will just naturally unravel. So it might not be a situation where he gets out of the car and skips and says cheerio and runs away, but like you were saying, it'll get shorter and shorter and shorter because we're gonna help his brain understand what type of thinking and feeling he's going to be anticipating, but we're gonna engage in it so it's following his lead of what's coming next, but the challenge in floor time is 
when to push and I get the sense and I wonder if pushing might be to expand upon what no school means to him. And it means I get to be home with mom, but what does school mean to him that he'd also be saying no to? Yeah, and Colette made a really good point in, she was our guest in parent support group recently. And she said, when he's feeling unsafe, he's going to cling to the person he feels most safe with, which is mama. <laughs> and so that's what he's thinking of. And maybe school doesn't feel as safe to him. Um, but yeah, you're, you're like, it's really a challenge, I think, as a parent to not try and talk them out of it. Oh, but so-and-so is going to be there and your friends are going to be sad if you're not there. And, oh, no, but then what about this? And, and, and they're like, yeah, that's nice, but I feel like crap. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If someone's an FEDC one and two and three, we can't reason with them and four, five and six, just from a very clinical viewpoint of it. So how many circles can we get in the idea while he's feeling stressed of no school? How can we sit in that with him? But it's not just no school, it's really settling into this concept of no school. Yeah, because he is getting out of the car with me and walking across the parking lot and going up to the school with me. So that's an improvement. I mean, I know there are kids who sit in the car and they refuse to get out and they scream and they kick. Yeah. Um, he's still able to have a full back and forth conversation the whole time this is going on, even while he's crying, oh, blah, 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 I don't want to, blah, blah, blah. And he's still yeah. having that back and forth. So he, yeah. you know, he's, he's in there at a higher capacity while he's dysregulated, but supporting him with that regulation, I hear mm -hmm. you saying is really the primary goal in that situation. Mm -hmm. And something else I like to think about, and it sounds like this may work for your child also, where he is within the FEDCs, is kind of revisiting it, at, revisiting after school. And I know I, I do this with my son all the time. Oh, this morning you you didn't want mommy to leave. You were crying a little bit. You were kind of sad, huh? And he'll say, "Yeah, I was sad." And I said, "And then and then you went to school." And you played with Play-Doh and you played with blocks and you went on the playground and you had so much fun. And he's like, yeah, I had fun. And then mommy came to pick you up. And I kind of find it very organizing for them where we work through that process of you didn't want to go, you went, we had a great time and mommy came to pick you up. And it sort of just, you know, organizes them and helps them this is what happened. This is what I enjoyed. And, and now it's all good. And it's working through that process and they come out and they're like, oh, you know, I, I could do this again. I did do that. Um, the other day was the 45 minute day. So it was two days ago. And then yesterday he went in no problem. And then today was a hard day again. <laughs> um, and I did that. I said, oh, how was school? Fun. Oh, I heard that you did this. Yes. Was it good? Yes. What did you do? Oh, we did this, this, that. And I said, um, wow, you really had a fun day. And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, because you were very sad this morning. Do you remember how sad you were? And then he just, blah, 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 blah. What's your favorite character in Toad? What's your favorite level in Mario Kart? Blah, 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 and just goes on. And so he just continues, he, he won't stay in that space. So you think, you think that it's um, important to sort of Oh, well, you did have fun at school. I did come to pick you up. Just helping him organize that. I think that's something that it kind of helps the kid sort of stick with it of it was fun. We could do it again. And then kind of maybe around supper time, we're going to talk about, oh, yeah. And you told me you did Play-Doh. And I wonder if you use red Play-Doh or green Play-Doh and just kind of revisiting all those details so they could really, you know, really support them in visualizing it. Okay, so that's an interesting point you bring up, visualizing it. So Stephanie, you mentioned his visualizing things. And just <laughs> so you guys know, there's been some discussion um, around his challenges with praxis. And so, and even when he's playing, um, 
Dr. John Carpente pointed out to me in a video he watched, um, we're doing a presentation at the upcoming ICDL conference, which I'll encourage everyone to register for, um, where he has a bunch of compartmentalized ideas, but he's not really sequencing them together yet. Um, and I think it might be the same with his feelings. And Mike Fields mentioned in the aggression podcast, you know, you, you can have praxis with play, but then what about praxis with ideas and feelings? Like that's really something that's hard to do, right? So um, with, with the idea that that might, the reason for that might be that visualization process. So we know he can visualize things and he's symbolic because he can enact um, what he has seen in a Mario Kart game in pretend play with blocks and he'll say you know this this is the gas station this is the lava this is the whatever and they're driving and they got a gas and then they went here and they did this but um dr tippy had said to me he still seems to be enacting what he sees in his memory as opposed to coming up with new and novel ideas so how do you see the visual spatial stuff that you were talking about relating to that I, I'm thinking about it from a whole body sense of knowing where your body is in space, being able to anticipate how something feels, which connects with the intensity that you need to receive the input and the timing that your body registers it, and then the discrimination piece of then what do you do with it. And all of those really are tied into praxis to then have new ideas, to know when to change something, to know what to do next, to know how to end it to know what's going to come even after that idea is done. It's all really interconnected. But I also can't help but thinking about the neurodiversity piece in thinking. And I remember at one of the Star Institute's symposiums, there was an autistic advocate who was talking to a friend who said, well, in your mind's eye, like, what do you see? And he's like, what are you, a magician? <laughs> I don't have a mind's eye. So just thinking that there are so many different ways that people think. Some people think in pictures, some people think in music, some people think in words, and it, it's just so variable. I think it comes down to figuring out what will help him to visualize. And for some children, looking at pictures before school can be very powerful so that they can literally see what they're going to be expecting. To have all of the sensory motor experiences in school is important. You're not just sitting at a desk all day. And I think that might not be as applicable for your son who has a really robust sensory experience, but for a lot of children that are just sitting at desks all day, don't get a chance to move their body and understand what their environment is telling them and how their body feels in it. But really that sensory processing piece and work that has to go alongside with it all, but you use 80%, 80% of learning is visual. And if that's hard for you, you have a really narrow window of what other type of things you can tolerate. And if you're not feeling well, or if things are new, there's a new student and something's unpredictable, your your regulation window is going to be super short. So from a like the original question of your visual spatial sense of knowing how to navigate a three dimensional world, integrating all of your other senses within it, where if something happens, you're going to know what to do. It's so complicated. It's so complex. So I think helping and being curious with him about what his body might expect. And if he is so verbal, if he could start thinking about it and being curious about it, might help him have just the agency and ownership to, to know what he's going to be expected to do and know what, what he can do. And he's done it a million times. But if he's stuck in fear and he's associating or, or not feeling safe and whatever that emotional experience is connected to we want to just try to loosen it up and help him to be the one who can mentally shift himself out of it rather than relying on some sort of external support for it and i think that's what that conversation of just one to two words going back and forth and being curious about ideas will help him with yes thank you very much so I don't want to um, use that as a typical example because I know a lot about floor time. I've an advanced certificate too. Um, the parents that you meet with might not 
have the depth of knowledge yet about the sensory profile and about his praxis. I mean, I had to look up what praxis was even a week ago, you know? <laughs> so it, but I like how um, you just sort of made me feel supported and understood. And I think that's what I'd like the listeners to take away is that parents are struggling trying to understand their child and they feel having that extra support where you can talk to somebody once a week or more um, and feel supported and maybe have something to work on for the next week that will improve your feeling of safety with your child, which will then in turn improve your child's feeling of safety with you, I think is really valuable. And sometimes parents, you know, sometimes there are sessions where we barely even talk about the child. And just the parent needs to feel heard and the, the difficulties they're having with their child. And is this normal? Does this make sense? Am I a good mom? That's, you know, that's always a question we get. Like, well, I wasn't sure what to do. Am I still a good mom? And really supporting the parents through their own journey. You know, so they can better support their child and empowering them. And, you know, we, we have one mom that came back to us and, saying that, well, her speech therapist said I should do X, Y, and Z, and it didn't feel so right to me. So I said, I'm gonna check with my floor time team first and, <laughs> and empowering them to, yeah. to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. And to understand, you, you know, you asked before, you kind of put a whole mouthful of, well, how do we, how do we sort of teach or support a parent and learning about the functional, emotional, developmental capacities, which that that's just the start. And then that was kind of overwhelming from there on. But as things come up with the parents, we find ways to insert, you know, well, that sort of comes in at capacity too. Well, what is capacity too? And the parents really in a very slow paced way that works for their understanding, we slowly, slowly teach them about the FEDCs. And they end up really understanding development and understanding what has to happen before. Well, if I want my child talking a lot, wouldn't it make sense that I should talk to them a lot? Well, let's understand and think about what has to happen before that. And all these different ways that we can support the child in understanding the FPDCs and understanding development in a way that's not overwhelming to them. And in a way that they can process it easily. Because like you said, not all parents are coming in with the knowledge base that you have. And we're there to slowly, slowly give it to them in a way that's understandable and comfortable and not overwhelming. Right. And, and different parents learn in different ways, too. Um, some parents may not want to know as much about floor time as I do. Um, that was sort of my individual difference is that I want all the information. I want to suck it all in, absorb it all, learn it all, uh, overachieve and do all of that to understand everything and then sort of go back in and, and feel what that means. Whereas, you know, you sort of talked about it from the other way, feeling what everything is and then understanding why. And, you know, there'll be all kinds of individual, individual differences within the parent population too. But, um, I, I think that's wonderful. And I wanted to ask you, um, what does it mean to you guys to be the first DIR accredited organization in New Jersey? And how and how do you feel that reflects when your clients see that? Um, so to, to kind of roll back a little bit, right, we were kind of building up kinder growth. And we saw that ICZL just put out this new DIR accreditation and we're looking into it and we're like, well, this sounds really cool. Sounds like something we should definitely have. And it sounds like it will, you know, give us credibility. So we looked more into it and we're reading about their guidelines. And the biggest thing was, well, you know, we have a standard we're going to keep to. And we know that when we're a, a, a DIR accredited organization, we're going to keep to these standards. So we have, you know, we obviously want to provide the highest quality therapy that we can. And the DIR accreditation is helping us with that, saying, here's the fidelity tool. Here's how you're going to observe and see if your therapists are doing what, you know, working up to par. And they're really, really giving us that support to say, you know, this is where we should be at. 
and we're able to take that and say, hey, you know, we're, we're there, we're, we're doing it. Um, so that's sort of from our end of, we know we have this standard that we're keeping to that we are providing quality therapy and we're proud of the therapy that we offer. Um, our therapists are up to par and we are there to support our therapists to, you know, if a therapist is having difficulties in a certain area, we'll go and we'll learn more with them. And, you know, each of our therapists are sort of on their own DIR floor time journey, which is really cool to support them with that, which helps them be better at, you know, whichever direction they're going with their life. Um, so that's sort of us as a company and, you know, to, it means a lot to parents as well. We have, you know, so us as a company, we have the parents and then we have our therapists. So when parents hear that we are a DIR accredited organization, right away, it tells them they are at a certain standard. They're upholding themselves and they are offering quality therapy. And that's something that's important to parents and especially parents that are new with DIR and they don't know much about it, but they know that we are, you know, a certified company so they could trust us and they could trust what they're going to get. Um, so that's sort of from the parents. And then from our therapists, you know, a lot of our therapists are still in college and they're learning more. So for them to be able to work with a DIR accredited organization where again, they say, hey, they're offering quality therapy, they're offering quality coaching. I know I'm gonna get good stuff here. So on so many ends, it's just an incredible thing to hold. And, you know, obviously being proud of the fact that we are the first company in New Jersey. Um, so that's really exciting, but it's, it, it's, it's so, it's, it's really huge. It's a lot and it's exciting. Yeah. The access to floor time, as you know, Daria, it's hard. It's hard to find floor time support and New Jersey, I think has a lot of resources that other states and other countries really don't have, but there are still parts of New Jersey that don't have access or close contact with a floor time provider. And it's so cool that it's covered there's no financial aspect to it and that you get such fantastic support it, it should always be so easy to help your kid and it should always feel so good but i think but it's not and i i am just so thankful that something like this exists and that there is a dir benefit with medicaid and hopefully that will only continue to grow i hope so and you guys are a good model for other companies and and um, yeah, just bringing a standard to of support uh, so that parents feel that confidence. I know that if I had to choose among different therapy places and one was accredited and one wasn't, certainly I would think that the one that's accredited might be the better one to go with. So that's really cool that you guys made the effort to get accreditation as well. So um, it's kinder growth. The website is at affectautism.com, along with some resources to past podcasts that I referred to. Um, on Kinder Growth website, we do have our blog pages, which does give content and information for parents to read, very easy reading. Um, and our blogs are applicable to what parents may be thinking about for their child or questions they may have. Um, something that has come to our attention as we've gotten calls from parents and Stephanie mentioned this before, is that services are not easy to come by and resources are not easy to come by. So although we are in the state of New Jersey, we do get calls. We've gotten calls from Turkey. We've gotten calls from across the U.S. just sort of asking questions and telling, asking, parent, asking us what are the resources. A mom called me this morning. She was in New York, but she used to live in Texas and no one there was able to help her. So although we are in New Jersey, we are here to answer any questions, to support the families, you know, we'll guide them to ICDL, we'll guide the families to affect autism, um, to really let the parents know that there are resources out there and there are people that want to help and they shouldn't feel alone and they shouldn't feel lost because the resources are here for them. And that makes me want to point people to affectautism.com under the services tab I have a list of places that I'm aware of that offer DIR floor time that aren't necessarily vetted, but if anyone listening has a DIR floor time clinic or services in places and it's not listed there, just send me an email, affectautism at gmail.com and I can list your clinic there, send me the website and everything. Thank you so much, Sari and Stephanie, and I can't wait to see your organization grow. Thank you, Daria. Thank you so much for having us. Parents and caregivers, 
Every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning offers free parent support meetings. These drop-in meetings help support families using a floor time approach with their children. We are here for you when you need the support, guidance, or just to share stories and experiences. These meetings are open to parents from anywhere around the world. Come whenever you can. Register at icdl.com parents. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day.